Wonder about the future and how you'll be working and learning? Welcome to You in 2042, the future of work, with your host, Danielle Wallace. Hello and welcome to another edition of You in 2042, the future of work. Joining me today is Peter Wellen. I've been in the computer programming field for my entire career, over 40 years now. And I've seen it all starting from the mainframe side of things where computers were the, took up an entire room down to supercomputers in our pockets. Looking forward to see what comes out next. Indeed, there is just so much change that we've seen in the world of work, especially if you just look at even the past 19 years or so. So what changes do you think will arise that will take us into 2042 or maybe close to? I think we're going to see more changes in the next 20 years than we've seen in the last 100. So in the last 100 years, or just a little over, we saw people fly for the very first time in a powered airplane to go to landing on the moon and kind of stagnated after that. But when it comes to work and and what we're seeing with computers, I think we're going to see more changes in the next 20 years than we've seen in the entire history of computing. And that's crazy just to think about it at that scale, because with it, there also is issues. We've seen the rise of their computing power. I've seen the equivalent rise of cybersecurity impacts, and that has me really concerned. What do you think will happen with cyber threats in the future? Certainly, they're going to get a lot more prevalent because they'll be easier to create. I, I like to say that right now, we actually have a shortage of criminals. And by that, I mean, it's not like we need more criminals, but if everybody that could get hacked was being hacked, the world would grind to a stop. They basically, they target one company, they take them for what they can, then they move on to the next. But if they were to scale up, they could scale up 10 10 times, 100 times, and there'd be plenty of victims that they could go after and succeed because our security has been for the most part, an afterthought. Someone who works in, in the computer field, everyone in general, we're focused on building things. We're not focused on how can you mess it up? How can you abuse it? So security has traditionally been an afterthought in most products. And that's why we're seeing so many successful attacks because we got away with ignoring it for a long time. And the only reason it worked like that life went on and and we weren't being robbed was because no one was trying to rob us. But now there's it's over a trillion dollar business in cybersecurity where the attackers are taking money from everybody from you know Fortune 500 companies that get ransomware all the way down to lonely people that are getting romance scams through online relationships. Now that's eye-opening to think of especially when we couple that with the that increase in computing power that we expect to see, and then the increase in which the ease that these criminals can escalate their operations. What do you think this will mean to the average individual who's not necessarily heading up a, a huge company? 
what might this mean to our listeners, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one of the really surprising things is how little money you might have that somebody will want to take from you. We've seen scammers go after people for their last 500 bucks. And you would think that's not worth their time, but quite often they're living in a country where 500 bucks is, you know, two or three months pay. So they're willing to put in a few days work to scam you out of every last penny you got. Now, what they've been doing, you know, there's one called catfishing where people pretend to be romantically interested in someone and, and they use photos that they scrape from the web. And that fools some people. But now with AI, it's possible to clone somebody's voice. And you can actually have a conversation with somebody. You don't know who you're talking to, but it will sound like someone that you think you know. And there's already been, they estimate $8 million stolen from senior citizens where somebody cloned the voice of a grandkid or, or a, a child and called up the parents looking for money and they sent it thinking that they had been talking to their family. And in fact, it was just some scammer. That's uncanny. The voice cloning and also I imagine the rise of other tools that can really make this so much easier for scammers to trick us as the average consumer and to truly challenge the way we are currently operating than our norms that we have today is what we think of for security. Or maybe, Peter, maybe it's things we're even not thinking about for security. What can people do to better prepare for this? I'd say first we have to adjust our preconceived notions about what's believable. So the big, big one is that, that I see is a lot of people believe what they see in the mainstream or legacy media. You see a video and you think, well, that's what happened. But we've seen time and time again that even the media, while the video itself might be of an actual occurrence, they'll cut off important information for the beginning or the end, which completely changes the context. So they can make someone who was defending themselves from an attack look like they're the attacker by only showing that him or her defending themselves. You know, that, that sort of thing. So it's unethical to do that. And, you know, they've been sued and I think the victim, you know, won millions. But in the meantime, we see it and the story becomes, well, that's what happened. When in fact, uh, it was a flat out lie. So like, there's been famous cases, like you might remember the little girl that got killed, John Benet Ramsey, and her parents were essentially convicted in the media in, and in public of her death. And it was only like, I think 15, 20 years later that it was proved conclusively who actually did the murder. And of course they were never convicted because there was no evidence, but in the public eye, they had been wrongful, you know, they had been convicted. And we've seen that time and time again, where the mob will pile on, it's a rush to judgment. There is evidence, you know, you, you are seeing something that, yes, they said those words, or yes, that video shows that happening, but it's not the whole story. And now, most recently with COVID, we've, we saw that play out as well, where you had competing experts. Some experts said it was a lab leak. Some said it wasn't. I think we don't know for a fact either way. And that's an issue like that you can't believe anything because you don't know what the truth is. And it's too complicated for us to investigate on our own. 
And related to that, the vast, vast majority of people, when they look for something online, when they Google, they're, first of all, they're going to use Google, and they're going to click on the first link. And whatever Google says is on the first page, but in particular the first link, that becomes the truth. So we've seen that happen as well, where Google, you know, gamed the results so that you're getting to see what you expect to see, as opposed to an objective truth. And so the whole notion, even that there is a single objective truth that we can all agree on, is kind of goes out the window. So it's really this idea of you can't necessarily believe anything and really exercising that objectivity in mind and not just falling for what is that first link or what appears to be that rush conclusion. Yeah, it, it reminds me of a quote, something like, you know, have your beliefs, like have a strong opinion, but loosely held. You know, be humble enough to recognize that, you you know, you have good reason for believing what you believe, and you could be wrong. Very well said. Anything further to build on as per what leaders can do to prepare for this, this future of increased cyber threats for their organizations? Yes. For for one thing, I encourage my team and, and any leader, get your give your team assignments to go off and use ChatGPT or OpenAI or whatever to learn about prompt engineering and what it's like to interact with an AI. I, I remember a time when people used to blame things on computer error. So anything that went wrong, they said, oh, the computer made a mistake. You know, nobody says that anymore because computers are generally thought of as being always accurate. And, you know, it's the people that are making the mistakes. Now with the AIs, you can ask it a question and a lot of people are conditioned to think, well, whatever answer it gives me is right. But they don't even claim, like the people that do the AI, don't even claim that it's, it's correct. It's, it's an answer. You still need judgment to figure out, well, is this a useful answer? Can it be verified? But it, it's extremely helpful in quickly forming a structure to, to investigate rather than starting from a blank page. So I, I, I recommend the leaders encourage their teams to use the AIs. You know, I set up like a con I've set up a contest with my team. I said, okay, here's what I want. I want a spreadsheet with comparative analysis of the security measures for the top 40 companies in our business. I just describe what I want, go figure out how to get AI to tell you what it is. And interestingly, we saw incredibly different results because with the chat programs, a lot of people treat them like Google, where they just give it like a one-line thing, just like you would Google. And it's like Google would come, you know, it'll come back with an answer if, uh, if someone's written about it before. But that's not the right way to use an AI. With the AI, what you want to do is kind of set a persona for it first, saying, you know, let's, for example, I want to compare learning management systems. So I would say, you are, you know, an expert in learning management and you want to hire, or sorry, you want to purchase a new LMS and you want to compare them based on X features, you know, prepare a comparative analysis for me. And that sort of prompt engineering and giving examples, it's a lot more work than just Googling, but you'll get much more comprehensive results from the AI when you do that. 
That makes sense. And it's such a practical tip that I think everybody can take away, especially when we look out and see this future world where the computing changes in the next 20 years are going to be dramatically different beyond what we can even fathom now. And then coupled with that, the cyber threats also unfathomable as to what we are experiencing now. Sorry, on that point, the, the uh, something that's unique, you know, we talked about security being an afterthought before. And now that people have seen what this can do, there's already been a letter, you know, where they're saying, they, Elon Musk and other AI experts saying, we've got to pause this thing and let's get the regulations and security in place now that we this is so powerful like not today it's not that powerful today but we know where it's going to go and the risk of it being insecure is so huge that we we can't we can't just sort of throw it out there and then fix it after it breaks we got to get it right out of the gate that's so true and that really will help us set up all our organizations our team members and ourselves up for success for the future world Yes. Peter, where can people find more information to learn more? Well, I recommend following the leaders on Twitter. So I like to follow Elon Musk. He's, he's always got something to say. And there's Sam Altman is another good follow on. He's the leader of OpenAI. Microsoft is going to introduce it to everybody and practically everyone has Microsoft products on their computers. They're rolling out what they're calling Copilot in basically all of their applications. So it's essentially adding AI to Word, Excel, PowerPoint. So like you can imagine, and I recommend just playing with it once, once it comes out, instead of having to create a PowerPoint yourself, you would describe what you want, and then the AI would go and build it for you, and then you can edit it from there. And I think people maybe should learn from you as well, because you are very much abreast of some of these tips and, you know, what to know. Oh, sure. My website is my name, peterwhalen.com, W-H-E-L-A-N. And I'm also on Twitter, Peter A. Whalen on Twitter. And you can see who I'm following and that those I find that are good follows for what's the latest news. Amazing. Thank you so much. I do encourage everybody to check out the PeterWayland.com and the What to Know Show. And thank you once again for being on this podcast. Really appreciate your insights. Thank you, Daniel. It's my pleasure. Thank you for being a part of the future. Subscribe now to stay current. Stay